grab your copy of God's Word and turn to John chapter 3. Uh, we have been in a series entitled Wise Men, Wise Words. And I uh, want to bring you some words today that if we would all learn to say, we would all ultimately be better off. And here are the words for the day, and they were shared by uh, John the Baptist. And here's the word. He must increase, and I must decrease. Those are wise words. He must increase, and I must decrease. You know, many times today we... Uh, share this kind of phrase. You've heard it. It's not new with me, but you've heard me share it a number of times. Uh, it, it's the definition of humility. Uh, humility isn't thinking less, uh, uh, thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, right? Uh, humility is not uh, me thinking, well, I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. I'm this. I'm that. I don't measure up. That's not humility, all right? Humility is just simply thinking of yourself less. And it's interesting that phrase, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Uh, that's really a paraphrase from a guy named C.S. Lewis. How many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis? If you read um, his book called Mere Christianity in the chapter on the great sin, here's what he said about the man and humility, and this is really where the ultimate phrase comes from that you hear all the day, from all the time now. Uh, he says this in Mere Christianity. He says, Do not imagine that if you were to meet a man who was really humble, that most people would call him humble. Instead, he would not be some sort of greasy, and this is kind of, remember, it's back in the other day. He would not be some sort of greasy, smarmy character who was always telling you that, of course, he is nothing but a nobody. Probably all you would think of this guy who was truly humble is that he seemed cheerful and genuinely interested in what you had to say. You say, how much would he think about his humility? He would not think about it at all. And so here's the point. Is he says, listen, when you think of a guy that's humble, and I'm guessing, uh, how many of you ever called anybody smarmy? Anybody ever? You have. So it's a different, I don't even know what that means. How many of you know what smarmy means? I don't have any idea what it means. What does it mean, Keith? Well, I know what greasy means, since you wouldn't think of him as greasy and smarmy. I don't even know what smarmy means, but it, it seems like he would be kind of a mutt. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? I think he would just be some sort of a mutt, uh, is that you wouldn't look at him and think he's a nobody. He says, as a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis says, no, you'd probably look at this dude and think he's got it pretty well together. But when you begin to talk to him, he actually listens. And he actually enjoys life. Why? Because he's humble and he knows his place, not because he thinks of himself as less than everybody else. He just thinks of himself less. And that's kind of an interesting thought as we go back to John the Baptist and we think about that phrase, talking about Jesus, of course, uh, where he says, he must increase and I must decrease. If you go to John chapter 3, verse 30, here's what it says. Uh, he says, he must become greater and I must become less. That's the way the NIV translates it. He must become greater, talking about Jesus, and I must become less. 
If you look at the ESV, the KJV, or the New American Standard, it's the way you and I know it. He must increase and I must decrease. If you have the New Living Translation, here's what it says. He must become, talking about Jesus, greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So as we think about wise men, for wise, uh, wise words from wise men, guys, we need to be thinking that Jesus must increase in our life, and we must, in fact, decrease. Now, John the Baptist was kind of an interesting dude. How many of you know that? Uh, we're going to put it on the screen. I thought I would introduce you. Uh, we've all heard a little bit about John the Baptist, but just kind of look at this dude, John the Baptist. Um, look at what he ate. Look at where he lived. Look at uh, what he wore. I mean, he was an interesting character. First of all, before he was ever born, it was a miracle birth. It was truly a miracle birth. Uh, it was uh, uh, his parents, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, were, it was said that they were greatly with age. How many of you know what that means? How many of you are wearing that right now, right? That means for them to get pregnant, it was a miracle of God, right? God had to step in and make this thing happen. And so his birth was a miracle. Then as he was born there, and, and by the way, Zachariah and Elizabeth both uh, were from priestly heritage, you can draw Elizabeth, and she points all the way back to Aaron, the very first priest that Moses had selected. So they, uh, Zachariah served in the temple. Man, this dude from birth was in church, all right? But it's kind of interesting, if you think about John the Baptist, everybody in that day, if you were going to worship, you went to Jerusalem. He didn't. He went from Jerusalem to the wilderness. And it's not uncommon for you to see in Scripture when people went out to hear John the Baptist preach or teach, they left Jerusalem and went out to the wilderness. They didn't head to the temple. They went to where John the Baptist was. So let me just read a little bit about John the Baptist. So when we come to this phrase, he must increase and I must decrease, we'll at least know the dude we're talking about, all right? He was a miracle baby from a priestly family. And here's what it says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. So there it is. That's where he lived, out in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of God is, is at hand. He said, This is who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, talking about Jesus, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the path. So John the Baptist is the one that is in the wilderness, pointing towards Jesus. That's the purpose. Then notice it says, John's clothing, here it is, were made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. That's what he had, all right? That's, all he, that, that's pretty much all he wore around. Same old camel hair, same old leather belt. His food was locusts and wild honey. So this dude was outdoorsy. Uh, he uh, probably stunk to high heavens. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Could you get another belt? Could you get another jacket? And he ate locusts and wild honey. People went out, listen, here it is, to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw the many Pharisees, so he was also bold, lived in the wilderness, ate locusts and wild honey, 
wears, wore some pretty humble clothing, some, some thrift store type clothing, ate obvious food uh, that was crazy, miracle baby, but he was pretty bold. Look at him. It says, when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. He says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. So he basically looks at the religious leaders of that day and says, guys, y'all need to get it together because what you've made religion is not what it was supposed to be about. Instead of pointing to God, you have built barriers between the people and God. And so that's why he began to preach and teach out in the wilderness. Now jump down. Notice what it says. If we go down to verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him. I instead need you to baptize me, yet you come to me. What was John saying? He says, listen, I've known you since birth. How many of you remember the story? During when, uh, when, Mary, when John the Baptist's mom was pregnant with him and she approached Mary and uh, she was about six months pregnant and Jesus was there in Mary's womb. It says he leapt in his womb. He identified Jesus from day one. There's probably about six months separating these two guys, John the Baptist and Jesus. And so Jesus and John the Baptist pretty much knew each other from birth. And so all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in John the Baptist's ministry. And Jesus says, I want you to baptize me. And John says, no, 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 no. He goes, I, I'm not in need of baptizing you. You need to baptize me. A, a dose of humility, right? He realized very much, really from his mom's womb, who Jesus was. And when Jesus says, hey, John the Baptist, I want you to baptize me. He said, no, 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 no. But I love this. Notice what it says. Jesus replied, let it be so now. Everybody say now. That's important. Jesus says, hey, right now, this is the way things have to be. But in the days ahead, things are going to change. Right now, John the Baptist, it's about you. In the days ahead, Jesus is saying, it is going to be about me. And so, guys, I want you to know, you might be in one of those stations of life, in a place in life where things have all been about you. I want you to know, it's time for that to change. It's time for us to move into a space where Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Jesus looked at John the Baptist and said, this is the way it's going to be now. But it's not always going to be this way. And so notice what it says, John consented. Man, I, I love the story of John the Baptist. He was a miracle baby. He knew Jesus from really before he was born. Uh, he had an incredible ministry. Uh, it, man, even the Pharisees and Sadducees were coming out to him. He was bold. He ate crazy food. He probably had about 2.5% body fat. How many of us are about right there? Uh, okay, the clothes probably were, could have used a little upgrade. How many of us understand that? Uh, probably the living and housing could have been a little better. But other than that, John the Baptist was a stud. He was the one that was selected to ultimately point the way to Jesus. And so as we come to John the Baptist, let me give you a couple of thoughts. First of all, 
not only was he pretty awesome, Jesus thought he was pretty awesome. If you go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, we'll put it on the screen for you. Here's what Jesus said, talking about John the Baptist. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of a woman, a woman, there has never been anyone greater than John the Baptist. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever said that to you? Anybody ever walked up to you and said, you know, as I think about all the men in the world that I know that were born of women, which would be all of them, you're the most impressive. I, I, my guess is you've had more people in your life that thought of all the, women, all the men born of women in the world, you're one of the worst, my guess is, right? But Jesus thought pretty highly of John the Baptist. He shows up to him and says, of all the people born, he's pretty much a stud. He's the greatest of them all. I love this, that Jesus honors him. No greater has been born than John the Baptist, yet whoever, notice this, is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So Jesus shows up to John the Baptist and said, this dude has been a stud. He was a stud in his mom's womb. He was a stud from birth. He has been committed beyond anybody else's commitment. Among those who are alive, there are none that are greater. But then notice that phrase. But whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven can be greater than him. So God, here's the point as we think about it. Wherever you are right now, if you are at your lowest low, that's just the beginning of what God wants to do with you. If you are on your highest high, be careful that pride and arrogance doesn't overwhelm you. Because God and Satan and life have a tendency to bring us down to size if we walk around too arrogantly. How many of us understand that? But the gospel has a tendency to lift us up when we're truly in those seasons that are calling us to be lower than low. So here's what we know. He was bold, you brood of vipers. You can also go to another time, ultimately what cost him his life is that he went into Herod. How many of you remember Herod? Not exactly a very churchy guy went into Herod and called him out on one of his sins. And then Herod's wife's daughter is dancing uh, in front of Herod one time. And, and apparently Herod is pretty interested in his wife's daughter, which is kind of creepy. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, she's, it says she's dancing, probably doing the Macarena, something like that. I don't know what she was doing. Two-step, uh, line dancing, I don't know what it was. But it impressed Herod so much that he sent her a note and he said, Hey, whatever you want, you can have. And Herod's wife's daughter and mom got together and said, hey, give us John the Baptist's head. He didn't really like that, but that's ultimately how it happened. Why? Because he was so bold in his face. Faith, he ate crazy things. He lived out in a crazy house, in a place, in a space. He was bold in his faith. He knew his purpose was to always point people to Jesus. And so now notice, we come to John chapter 3. 
I'm going to give you the context that leads up to that phrase. He must increase and I must decrease. And I want you to hear the conversation. Here it is. Back to the story. Uh, John the Baptist knew his purpose. His purpose was to point people to Jesus. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them there and baptized. Now John also was baptized in, in the, uh, uh, in the uh, Anon, Salim, whatever it was, because there was plenty of water there and people were coming and being baptized. So since there were plenty of water there, they didn't have to sprinkle, they were able to, they were able to immerse. Uh, it says, this was there, this is, uh, uh, notice what it says, this was before John went to prison. It says, an argument developed between some of John the Baptist's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. In other words, they were debating baptism, ceremonial washing, baptism, ceremonial washing. They got in this, this debate. And then notice what it says in verse uh, uh, 26. It says, They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, Who's he talking about? Jesus, all right? Look, he's baptizing, and here's the problem. Notice the problem. And everyone is going to him. What are John the Baptist's disciples noticing? That all the John the Baptist's disciples are beginning to leave and go to Jesus. The disciples of John the Baptist are beginning to to shrink. Let me tell you what. No one likes a shrinking ministry. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You ever been in a life group that at once was vibrant and strong and all of a sudden there was that slow, steady death spiral? Uh, you ever seen a church that at once was great but today is not so great or even dead? Man, I want you to know if you're in one of those seasons, no one likes to see that. Now, notice John's response. To this, John replied, a person, and here's the key, if you're going to stay humble and you're going to overcome discouragement in your life, notice there are a couple of keys that we're going to point out right here from these verses. So John replies to their statement. Everyone is going out to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what has been given to him, right here. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. Then notice what he says. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom, the best man is what he's saying, or the groomsman, that's what he's talking about. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy. Everybody say full of joy. Full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. I love that. John the Baptist says, dude, I'm not the groom. I'm the best man. I'm not the groom. I'm the buddy of the dude that is getting married. When we look at Scripture, the, the analogy is that, is that the church, you and me, we are the bride of Christ, right? Do we understand? That's the analogy he's, he's using. He says, I, I'm not the groom. He says, this whole thing, it's not 
my wedding. He goes, but dude, I am the best man. And when, my, when the groom walks in, who is my best friend, and I hear his voice, I'm overfull with joy. How many of you have a guy maybe in here in this room that every Tuesday morning or so when you walk in here and you just hear that dude's voice, it just kind of brings a smile to your face. How many of you know? Yeah, you've got one or two of those. How many of you have more dudes in this room that you walk in and it's like fingernails on a chalkboard? How many of you? Yeah, yeah, we, we've got way more of those. Did you just point at me? So, uh, no, but do you understand what John is saying? These guys are saying, dude, everybody's leaving your wedding party to go to the other wedding party. And John the Baptist halts them and says, guys, this was never my wedding. I was always the one. I was seating people. I was an usher. I helped people park in the parking lot. Uh, I walked them in. I handed out Bibles. I handed out programs. At the end of the day, though, I knew this ain't my wedding. Guys, you and I, we would be so released to do ministry that God has called us to do here at Cottonwood Creek. If you would remember, this wedding ain't about you. It's not even about me. We are attendants wanting to make sure that the groom hits the aisle every Sunday, in every conversation, when we're at, the work, when we're at work, in every place and in every space. And when Jesus is seen by others, our joy is made complete. And so notice, let me just finish reading it. He says, that joy becomes mine and is now complete. What is he saying? The groom showed up. People are beginning to know him, not me. Then he responds with that phrase that you and I have heard. He must become greater. He must increase and I must decrease. Man, as you think about John, uh, John's disciples, what, what caused this whole thing? Well, obviously, go back up to verse 26. They said, hey... All of our disciples are leaving us and going to Him. Jealousy. What causes us to lose our joy in life? I think jealousy. Man, you ever looked around at someone else and they're in the same business as you and all of a sudden they're successful and you're not as successful? You ever look around at someone else and it seems like uh, uh, their family is just this cute little picture of a perfect family and yours is anything but? You ever look around at someone else's car and it seems like their car always runs and yours doesn't? Uh, jealousy is a real thing. How many of us understand that? Envy is a real thing. John's disciples were sold out to follow John the Baptist. And, and let me tell you what, they had probably sacrificed a lot. My guess would be, if you were going to be the disciple of a dude who lived in the wilderness, wore camel hair and a leather belt, and ate locusts and wild honey, you know what that probably meant for you? You lived in the wilderness, you wore a camel hair jacket and leather belt, and you ate locusts and wild honey, while everybody else was just down the road in Jerusalem enjoying Market Street lunch. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
They're sitting there going, we have given up so much. We have sacrificed so much. We have brought people to you. We have celebrated you. We have built your ministry. We have done this and we have done that. And John the Baptist says, yeah, but boys, I've been telling you all along, this isn't my wedding. And he says, he must increase and I must decrease. I love that. Now, here, here's what I want to give you. As we think about the problems that led to it, I, I think these guys were jealous. I think they were envious. Um, I think they became bitter. Uh, because they were struggling, that all of a sudden John's disciples were dwindling. They were, they were going down. Now, a lot of times we look in modern day, a lot of people's ministry shrinks because they do the wrong thing. They become prideful. They become arrogant. They stop becoming relevant. They stop trying to reach people of Christ. They begin to look at each other instead of look at a lost world that desperately needs the gospel. But that wasn't the case here. See, John the Baptist was just the forerunner pointing to Jesus. Remember what he said in John chapter 1? He said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That word behold means look at Him, don't look at me. Look at Him, look at me. Look at Him, don't look at me. And he, goes, he says, I can preach about the kingdom, I can preach about the Lamb, I can preach about the Savior, but I can't forgive you of one sin. And so now we come here to this point where, man, John's disciples are bitter, they're envious, they're beginning to talk, and John expresses an amazing humility. He must increase and I must decrease. But along with that, guys, and I don't know where you are in your space and in your life, along with that, here are a couple of ideas that will help us all journey through life in those seasons when we feel like what I have is decreasing and what someone else has is increasing. Thought number one, he talks about the sovereignty of God. You say, where does he talk about the sovereignty of God? Look at it, it's right there in verse 27. He says, to this John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. What does that mean? John says, listen, at the end of the day, God controls everything. God is overall. God spoke it all into existence. God is over everything, right? So we understand, how many of you understand that? Nothing happens in your life, nothing happens in my life that God hasn't first at least allowed. God doesn't approve of everything, right? I want you to know, God doesn't approve of everything. Uh, my guess is you've said some words perhaps recently that God would not have approved of. How many of you know that? But he allowed you to say them for a season. Uh, we can look in this world, right? We can see a lot of things that happen in this world that God clearly doesn't approve of. But does that mean God is any less sovereign? Absolutely not. We usually ask a couple of questions like, like uh, you know, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Anybody ever asked that question? Anybody looked around and wondered, God, why would you allow this to come our way? That's a question of God's sovereignty. Uh, a, a further question is, does God allow bad things? And a further question is, well, then if God created everything, does that mean God causes bad things to happen? Let me tell you, there are some who take God's sovereignty so far that at the end of the day, they pin 
sin ultimately on God. Don't take sovereignty that far. But don't ever diminish the sovereignty of God. God is in charge of everything. God has created a world, and He created Adam and Eve, where He was going to provide some freedom to choose to freely worship Him or reject Him. And what is it that caused Satan to rise up against God? Pride, right? Guess what we're still talking about in John's days with John's disciples? Pride. What happened in Adam and Eve when they were in the garden? What ultimately led to them eating of the fruit? Pride. They wanted to be as good as God. They bought the lie. So, guys, when we come to John the Baptist and he says he must increase and I must decrease, what is he talking about? We have to choose humility over pride. We have to choose humility over arrogance. It's a choice you and I have to make each and every day. That Jesus must increase and I ultimately must decrease. It's the way it was when Satan rebelled against God, when Adam and Eve first sinned, all the way through the Old Testament. Usually when someone turned away from God, it was arrogance. They turned to their own ways to reject ultimately God's ways. And so for us, coming back today, these are wise words. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And I love the way John handled it. He stepped back and said, you know what? This is God's will that my ministry would be shrinking right now. See, now, now, now don't step back. A lot of times people will then step back and say, okay, that's good. I hope this church shrinks. I hope other churches shrink. Sometimes people will go into a life group and say, you know what? Uh, we just want the faithful few. Hang on. No, 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 no. Remember, the difference between that mentality and John the Baptist's mentality is John the Baptist had fully fulfilled his purpose. If the ministry that you're in is shrinking because you're not evangelistic, you're not sharing the gospel, you're not walking faithfully, you're not worshiping God, you're not doing the basics that are supposed to be done in the New Testament church, if you're not doing any of those, there's nothing spiritual about your ministry shrinking. I want you to know there's zero spiritual about a ministry shrinking. However, on the other hand, if you are like John the Baptist and you're sharing the gospel and you're living an honest and a pure life, you're living a righteous life, you're doing everything, and all of a sudden your life group is shrinking or your church is shrinking or the ministry is shrinking, then I want you to know, you can step back and say, you know what? I'm living in God's will and God's space. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There is a difference, guys. That God, here's what I know. As I go back 26 years ago, I had no idea that Cottonwood Creek was going to become what it is today. But what I did know is that we were supposed to share the gospel. I was supposed to step up every Sunday morning. I was supposed to preach the word. We were supposed to love people. We were supposed to do whatever we could. When someone walked through the door, that is still our ministry call. We are going to minister to the next person through the door. Sometimes people coming through the door, they look pretty good and pretty put together, and they were pretty good and pretty, good, pretty well put together. There were other times that people would walk through the door. They didn't look very good. They looked a lot like John the Baptist. 
and they weren't very well put together. We ministered to them the exact same way we ministered to the people that were pretty good looking and well put together. And guess what? That is still our call. And if God wants to double the size of this church in the next 10 years because we are doing the right thing, that's God's call. If God likes us right where we are for the next 10 years, that's God's call. If God cuts us in half in the next 10 years, that's God's call. Our only call is to keep doing the right thing. So if someone ever comes up to you and says, hey, you know, it's okay if we shrink, step back and ask the question, say, are you doing the main things? Are you sharing your faith? Are you loving people? Because if you're not sharing the gospel and you're not loving people and you're not doing the basic ministry things, don't be shocked that you shrink and that's not God's will. If you're being obedient and faithful and loving God and you shrink, then perhaps it is God's will. See, God's will for John the Baptist's ministry was this, is that it would blow up, that he would preach the word, that he would develop an audience, and then he would point to Jesus. Do you understand? That was his ministry. That it would blow up, he would preach the gospel, he would point to the Lamb, and then everybody would stop following him, and they would start looking at the groom, Jesus. So thought number one, if you're bitter and jealous, make sure you're doing the right thing, and then trust the sovereignty of God. That's what he said. Nothing comes to me apart from heaven. Here's, here's thought number two. Honestly admit who you are. Do an honest self-evaluation. If things aren't going great in your life, do an honest self-evaluation. I love what John the Baptist does. Listen to his honest self-evaluation. He says, you yourself can testify that I've said over and over again, I am not the Messiah. You know what he was saying? He was looking at his disciples and said, hey boys, don't ever forget, I never said I was Jesus. Hey, y'all look to the dude next to you and say, you ain't Jesus. Right? He, he acknowledged who he was. He says, I'm a guy that has served, I've preached, I've done this, I've done that, but I've never pretended that I was Jesus. John the Baptist knew all along that he wasn't the Messiah. His job was to preach about the Messiah. You see, when you understand this, if I do everything I can to build the church, to serve the church, to love people, to study God's Word, to preach the gospel, if I do everything I can that I'm supposed to do, and the church grows, it's still God. Everybody say, still God. If I don't do any of those things and the ministry shrinks, that's on me because I wasn't faithful. But the second thing we need to remember is at the end of the day, the point of growing the church, of sharing the gospel, is not so people can look at us, but that we can make people and encourage people to look at Jesus. Do we understand that? He's the one that ultimately must increase. Why? Because we are the groomsmen. He's the groom. Guys, let me tell you what. Great discouragement for your pastor in ministry 
is there are a lot more bridesmaids than there are groomsmen. There are a lot more bridesmaids than there are groomsmen. You say, what do you mean? Ask somebody to sign up to serve in church. There'll be four women for every one man that signs up to do something. Why? If our call is that Jesus must increase, I must decrease, surely at some point there would be more groomsmen in the room. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now remember, you're all let off the hook. I just told you, you're not Jesus, right? So it's not like we can be perfect. But we can sign up. How many of you know what I'm saying? Let me tell you what. You want to make Jesus increase? This will shock you. Let there on Sunday morning be five dudes opening doors, saying hello to men and women and boys and girls that walk in there. Let there be five men standing at that door saying hello. Let me tell you what, that increases Jesus. People walk in and say, okay, this is a real deal. This is a church filled with groomsmen who are pointing to the groom. So thought number one, man, once you've done everything you're called to do, now this is not God's sovereignty. Let me tell you what, God's sovereignty, I see and hear a lot of people who are lazy in ministry, who hide behind the sovereignty of God. I see a lot of young ministry staff that talk about the sovereignty of God. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, don't be shocked when your ministry doesn't become what it's supposed to be. It's the same thing in your life and in mine. And then don't ever forget you're not Jesus. But here's the third thought, and we see this here in verse 29. You know, know your ultimate calling. I love this. This is the idea. Look at verse 29. It says, uh, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. That's the church, right? The church belongs. This church, how many of you know this? 26 and a half years here. This church is still not mine. How many of you know that? Please, please tell me. I've taught you for 26 and a half years that y'all aren't mine. This is Christ's church. I just happen to be an attendant from time to time, hopefully making much of him and less of me. And so as he reads on, and he goes on, he says, The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Guys, I will tell you, y'all have got some friends in the room, so do I. There, there are some of y'all that, that when I hear your voice, I, I just I get a smirk. And I just know something funny is going to happen, right? You know what I'm saying? I know something funny is about to be said. Now, I want you to know I hear some of y'all's voice, and I don't get that same feeling. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But I, I love this, that John says, Dude, could I ever be any more fulfilled than people are going after Jesus? And I am decreasing and he's increasing. Man, that's where the joy comes, guys. Let me tell you what, the joy that is fleeting is when someone tells you how awesome you are. That feels good. By the way, feel free to tell your pastor that every once in a while. But I will also tell you, 
This is something, if you didn't know this, everywhere I am, I am there. Boom. Did y'all get that? Everywhere I am, there I am. What does that mean? Ron can walk up to me and tell me I am the, you are the best pastor in the world. Man, your sermon was the best sermon in the world. Man, Pastor, I just love you and you're awesome. And guess what? I can turn and walk away. And what is the thought going through my mind? If he only knew. Do you understand? Let me tell you what. Ron needs to keep doing that. You need to be telling when someone, when a brother is doing the right thing, when a groomsman is doing the right thing, you need to walk over to him and say, dude, you are awesome. Don't tell them they're perfect because that'd be a big lie. Look at them and say, thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for what you're doing. I love, that's where joy comes. Why? Because we as the groomsmen are pointing towards the groom. Now here's your last point. Now notice, you've got to rest in the sovereignty of God. You've got to be honest about your humanity. You're not Jesus. Number three, you've got to know your purpose. That my purpose at this wedding is that I'm a groomsman, I'm not the groom. My joy comes when that dude kisses that girl. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Unless she's your ex-girlfriend. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? Then we've got a whole other set of problems. We've got a whole other set of problems, all right? But Jesus is ultimately the groom, and the church is his bride, and our job is to constantly point. Here's your last thought. Point people to Jesus and make him known. Here's what it says. That's, uh, that's where we get to verse 30. He says, he must become greater, and I must become less. You say, all right, Pastor. I know John the Baptist. It's very clear what John the Baptist's call was, his purpose was from birth. He was supposed to pave the way and point the way to Jesus. Your question might say, well, that job's already been taken. What's my call? What's my purpose? What's my job? Let me, do, let me give it to you, and hopefully this will help you out. A couple of quick thoughts. General purpose for every man in this room. Write this down. General purpose of every man in this room. You can find it in Mark chapter 12 that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's general purpose. Everybody in this room, that's your general purpose in life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your soul. Love Him with everything you have. Now, don't ever forget, as a dude, strength is in there. Which leads to, how do I take, and here's a key for all of us, how do I take those general purposes that are for all of us and make them specific to my life? Going back to Ron. He's a smart dude. But guess what? Did you and I have the same jobs going through life? Well, why did you do what you did, and I'm now doing what I'm doing? Because don't you have the same general purpose to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And don't I? So how do I define the specific purpose 
if we all know the general purpose? Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Write that question. That's going to help you define how do I live out loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? I have to figure out what am I passionate about? What is God placed in me that it draws me to this. What was your major? Biochemical engineer, nuclear biology, sunken subs. I don't know what it was. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, but it was bio something. Yeah, okay. I never had a passion for that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I liked math, but I wanted nothing to do with that. So why did he end up serving God where he was? Because God had created him for a passion. There's a guy in the back that's retired. He's now got a passion for bees. I don't get that. How many of you know bee? He's like our resident bee whisperer. I don't get that, but you have a passion about bees. Are you supposed, can you still be passionate about bees and love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Absolutely. Okay. So how do you take the general purpose and make it specific? What are you passionate about? Then here's the question after that. How can I use that passion to bring others to Jesus? How can I use that passion to bring others to Jesus? Ron's done it marvelously. He is a science dude that understands the science, and guess what? When someone begins to say, well, science, doesn't science say there isn't a God? Ron's whole passion has been to say, no, I'm pretty sure science says there's got to be a creator. How many of you understand? He is using his passion to make much of Jesus and less of himself. How many of you think I'm ever going to be at a beekeeper's convention? If you put money down that I will ever be at a beekeeper's convention, you have just thrown away good money. How many of you think he might end up at a beekeeper's convention? So what's his question? How do I use my passion to bring others to Jesus? You see how you take your general purpose? Love God, love, love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then I say, what is my passion? And how can I use that passion? Here's a second question. You say, oh, I, I, I'm really not a particularly passionate. Let me put it to you a little easier. What are you good at? What are you good at? See, God created you with talents and abilities. What are you good at? Some of y'all are good at some things that I am not very good at that particular activity. I played golf with some guys in this room a couple of days ago, and here's what I noticed. On hole number one, none of us are very good at that particular activity. <laughs> There's a high likelihood that none of us are going to ever be on TV accepting a $2.2 million check going, and Jesus is Lord. How many of you know that? But that doesn't mean we can't use a passion for golf with marginal talent 
to bring people to Jesus. Do you understand? That's how you take God's general call on all of our life, to love Him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then add a second question to that, what am I passionate about? And then you say, how can you use that passion to bring people to Jesus? What are you good at? And how can I use what I'm good at to bring people to Jesus? Guys, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. Don't ever forget that. But the call of all of our ministries is not to develop our own following, but it is to build followers of Jesus. And if you're not in that game, you're missing your purpose. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for the example of John the Baptist. God, I pray every one of us would leave here understanding that our call is not to develop a bunch of disciples around us, but our call is to be a groomsman that point people to the groom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day. Thank you, your purpose and your talents.